right, let's pray before we come to the preaching of the word. Father, we've just sung of amazing truth that Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And why should you? Why should you desire to save sinners? Lord, we have nothing. We have nothing to commend ourselves, but we simply look to you as having had pity on on us, loving us, and offering your son for us. And we pray that you would help us to look to him. And even as we work through these four essentials, Lord God, may Christ always be central, always be our aim, always be our goal, always be in our mind's eye. And that we might see him, believe in him, and that we might know eternal joy. In his name we do ask and pray. Amen. So we're dealing with this question, is close enough good enough? We saw that close is only good in horseshoes and hand grenades, not heaven. Close is only good in horseshoes and hand grenades. I say that, hopefully, if there's anything you take away from the messages, if you remember that, it'll be something, right? Hopefully that's a trigger, make you think of some of the other things that we've discussed uh, over these messages, but I want you to try to remember that little saying. It'll help to be a mental trigger to come up with the things that we're going to be talking about in these four essentials. Is there another outline available? I just want to take a little quick here. Sorry, I should know this, right? I wrote it. Um, All right, so we're on this first essential that I'm calling a biblical understanding of the problem of my personal sin. And you'll see there as we work down, these build on one another. So right at the outset, I want to say that as we're working through these four essentials, all of them should be taken together as a whole. I don't want anyone to take, for example, what we're going to study today and think that this is the sum and substance of Christianity. It is an important component, an essential component, but it is not the sum and substance. Okay, And so it's important for us to try to, to distill what are those essentials, what are those things that when we look in the mirror of God's word and we're evaluating ourselves and say, hey, I want to know if I'm a Christian, right? Am I real? That these things should be true of us. But to take just one of them and not with the others could be dangerous. Okay, so I just want to put that out there as a qualification as we work through here. And as, as you see us making our way in the, uh, in the outline, it'll help you, uh, hopefully, to, to kind of pace yourself. And you might say, yeah, but pastor, there's this, there's this. We're going to get to some things that are going to come up, and I'm going to try to hold back from trying to jump into them. Um, because as a, as a preacher, you, wanna, you always want to get to the gospel, right? Uh, but the gospel, we're trying to break it down and understand all these components. All right, so is close enough good enough in answering that question and trying to understand, okay, it's not good enough, then what do we need? What are those essentials of being in the kingdom of heaven? What what does it mean to be a real Christian? Okay, so the first one we have here is a biblical understanding of the problem of my personal 
sin. In other words, a Christian is someone who faces up to the reality of sin as defined by the Bible, right? They take accountability. They're not hiding, but they face up to it. And we could say that sin, in one sense, is the whole reason for Christianity. Christianity is essentially and fundamentally a sinner's religion. Okay, you get that? So that's why I'm saying it's like, in one sense, the whole reason for Christianity. So we can't deny it. We can't, we can't pretend like it's not there. If you turn to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21, let's go ahead and do some page flipping or some tapping on your screen to just help you stay engaged here, get some blood flowing. Somebody want to read Matthew chapter 1 and verse 21 for us? Volunteer, Ethan. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Yeah, he's save his people from their sins. Right there, right? The identity of Jesus bound up in that very reality. Okay, Luke chapter 5, verse 31 to 32. Luke chapter 5, verses 31 and 32. Somebody volunteer to read that, please. Go ahead. Luke 5, verses 31 and 32. Yeah, we just sang that, didn't we? Jesus came to save sinners. Sinners. Here it is at the, at the core of the Christian faith. The Christianity is essentially and fundamentally a sinner's religion. But the simple fact is that people don't like talking about this fact that we have this problem of sin. Even though it's at the core the reason why Jesus came, it is a fact that generally we don't like to talk about it. Now, of course we don't like talking about sin. It's bad, it's wicked, it's evil. I don't mean uh, that we need to have some desire to morbidly want to talk about wicked things and to explore out evil. Okay? That's not what I mean. But to understand the problem of sin is necessary. In fact, sadly, even... People who call themselves Christians often won't even mention the word sin. Now, we just cited two passages that would say, no, you got to, right? Isn't that why Jesus came? I'm making a statement based on that, that Christianity is essentially and fundamentally a sinner's religion. How do you erase that from your vocabulary if you call yourself a Christian? Now, I understand there may be terms that we use to try to help people understand with language that changes and vocabulary that people understand. You have to sometimes explain it. But mistakes are not sin. Okay? Mistakes are not sin. Okay? You're going out on your soccer team. I might use my soccer team as an example from time to time. And more than half of them are here. 
I'll use some positive examples. Don't worry, guys. I see them all looking down like, oh boy, here we go. Mistakes. <laughs> the coach is hollering and screaming on the sideline, right? Hit him with your left foot. And you tried to tap that. It was right wide open. All you had to do was just tap it, pass it right into the goal with your left foot. But you didn't, or you tried, and you missed, right? That's a mistake. Is that a moral problem? Are you standing in judgment for God because you're horrible with your left foot? And you can't, no, that's, that's a mistake. Hey, I messed up. My bad, right? I made a mistake. That's not sin. So we shouldn't call sin mistakes. Get it? All right. How about bad choices? Bad choices. Um, I hear parents say this a lot in counseling about their kids. They say, well, you know, my kid just, just, he's just made some bad choices in his life. Okay, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? Well, he, he chose to punch his friend. Really? They got into an argument. He chose to smoke marijuana. Really? Right? Bad choices. There's a, a bad choice. Well, okay. In one sense, I understand it's a bad choice, but as if, you know, we're just, it's multiple choice, you know, and I'm, it was A and I chose B. Ah, come on. Now we make bad choices, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there's something morally wrong with our decision. But see, sin is about morality. There's a, there's a fundamental problem there. So we can't just call sin bad choices. Get it? Yeah. All right. Thank you. How about brokenness? There's a term that's very popular these days. In, in talking about our condition, people say, well, I'm broken and my brokenness before God. And I would say that there's a sense in which our sin does leave us broken, right? But if I were to take this nice little recording device here and, I, and in my zeal and I knocked it over and it broke, right? It's not the recording devices or this little, whatever you call it, recorder's fault that it got broken. That'd be my fault, right? I broke it. And sometimes we can, we have to be careful with how we use this term, broken. Yeah, do we see the effects of sin and how it destroys us and that leaves us broken? Absolutely. But sin in and of itself is not brokenness. Like somebody broke me. Or I just kind of fell over by accident and got broke. No, no, no. That's, that's, that's not it. It's sin at its core is rebellion against God. It's rebellion against God. It's anything that we think, feel, do, or say that falls short or goes beyond God's perfect and holy law. In the Baptist Catechism, and I think it's the same in the Westminster, what is sin? Sin is any lack of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Sin is any lack of conformity, right? So meeting that in the bounds of God's law. Conform to this. Come to this. Take the shape of this, right? God has, in a sense, given us the boundaries by his law. And if, if we don't 
by our lives match that and come up to that standard, that's sin. But it's also any transgression of the law. So if those are the boundaries and sin is not getting into that boundary, right, and and, and being inside there, transgression is going beyond it, going outside of what God has said, right? So if the boundary is here, this is the line, sin is when I go and I cross and I go beyond. Okay, so you get the, the two parts of what sin is in, in rebelling against God. And of course, as our creator, God has every right and authority to set that standard. Okay? He created us. He created this world, this universe. He sets the law. He gets to decide. Again, going back to soccer. Somebody, and I don't know who, invented the game of soccer. And the rules have changed along the way. But when you guys play soccer, and not just my team, but we do this a lot, if the ball even happens to get close to or looks like it may have come in contact with the other team's hand, what happens to my team? Oh! Ref! Come on! Of course, they would never do that because they don't talk to the ref. But what did he say? In his hand. The rule was what? The rule was broken, wasn't it? You're not supposed to use the, yeah, it was a handball. You're right. But the rule was broken. Now, do you get to say, well, you know what? We decided, we just on the sidelines decided we're, we're going to do away with that for this game. No, we don't get to decide to do that, right? We're players in the game. But the one who's officiating and running the game, they decide to make the rules. And that's the point, right? God gets to do that. As creator, as your creator, as my creator, individually, as well as generally. Whenever we deviate from his standard, his laws, we have sinned. Whether by doing what we shouldn't do, those things we should not do, we do those, or we don't do what we ought to to do. So, sin is the whole reason for Christianity. And we see that sin is a universal problem. All humanity fell into sin. It all happened when Adam sinned in the garden. Romans chapter 5. Let's go ahead and open to our Bibles. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. So Romans chapter 5, verse 12, a volunteer. Silas. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. So when did we sin? In Adam. You see how it says that here? We all sinned when Adam sinned. Adam was what they call our federal head. Okay, he was that representative as the first human being ever created. And when he sinned, we all sinned in him. And the whole, when he sinned, he brought the whole human race down with him. 
So it's a universal problem, but it's also a personal problem. Sin is a personal problem because each one of us on our own have sin. We might be able to say, yeah, but you know, Adam was, if you could say, you know, he was driving the bus and when he took the wrong turn, when he sinned, when he transgressed, he took everybody on the bus with him. Or use the analogy of a plane. He was the pilot. And when he decided to go down, he took everyone with him. And you say, but if I were driving the bus, I wouldn't do that. If I were, no, no. What what do we prove every day of our life? No, we ourselves personally are sinners. And we also sin. When we look at our personal record, when you look at your personal record of keeping God's law, just like mine, it is covered covered with marks. Sin, 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 sin. If there was like a tally book, it's covered, totally marred, full of sinful actions, wicked thoughts, intentions. Turn to Ecclesiastes 7.20. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20 Solomon writes, for there is not a just man, man, woman, boy, girl. There's not a just person, a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. So even though you might have grown up in a Christian home and attended church your whole life, and maybe you never got drunk, Maybe you never violated any laws of the road. Not just didn't get pulled over, but you've never gone over to speed limit and you've always worn your seatbelt. Maybe you, you never got into a fight. Maybe you never physically assaulted someone. Maybe you never blew up in anger at your brother or sister shot off, right? An angry punch in their direction. Nothing ever physically came and somebody could look and say, oh, you did something really bad. According to the word of God, you have personally sinned. And you say, well, why? Right? Does the law of the land do that? If, if, if the law of the land is that you're, well, at least I think it still is, right? <laughs> you're not supposed to kill someone else. But what if, what if you had police show up at your door and they're like, okay, Ryle, we're taking you in. And they had a whole SWAT team there. And they're like, okay, yeah, I was just going to do my homework. What's going on? <laughs> okay, Ryle, we're taking you in. And they're handcuffing them, shooting them roughly, putting them in the back. What happened? You committed murder. Ryle committed murder. What did he do? Oh, his brother. He. Which one? Hayden. <laughs> Hayden's right here. Now, this is, I'm just, you know, using this as an illustration. Quality check is right here. But what if they said, yeah, but and you intended in your heart? 
to harm him and even willing to put him to death in your heart. You would say, whoa, police can't do that. You're going to start to get into my brain. You're going to start to say, hey, whoa, I know what you did. Oh, yeah, come on in. We'd be lining up. They wouldn't have enough police. To bring. Do they sell the police in New York State? <laughs> or do they yes, fund them? They can't do anything. They can't do anything. Okay. But they wouldn't have enough social servants or whoever they are doing now to take us in, right? Because Why? Because it's all in here. It's all in here, right? You can't. How do you know? How can you judge me here? Can you see into my heart? Can I see into your heart? Why is it that God can tell us that we're all sinners, even if we've not done some of these outward, horrible, wicked things? Well, because God judges, not in externals. Those aren't judged. But God judges at the heart. He's looking right here. As I stand before you right now, God knows what is in my mind. He knows what is in my heart. He knows my motivations. He knows my intentions. And he knows likewise the same of all of you. Right at this moment. And he knows whether there is sin and anger, rebellion, whatever it is. Adultery, fornication, carelessness, hatred, bitterness, envy, pride, arrogance, vanity. I can't tell. I, I don't have special x-ray vision into your heart and mind, but God knows. And that is where he's judging us. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, in that passage, we have Samuel being told by God, he's rejected Saul as king of Israel, and he says, I have found another, I've anointed another one is going to be, or I I have already chosen another one, go and anoint him. And he goes there to Bethlehem, to the, the house of Jesse, and Samuel says, Jesse, please call up your sons. And the first one, Eliab, shows up. Oh, yeah, Eliab. No, tall, dark, and handsome. I don't know, making that up. He was something impressive, though, because Samuel's like, well, surely the Lord's anointed is among us. Let the crown be placed upon his head. It's not him. Is it Shammah? No, it's not him. What's going on? What does he tell Samuel? For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He's looking right now. He's looking at your heart. That's where he's judging. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 22, Matthew chapter 5, verse 28. And in the first section there in verse 22, as we were using in our illustration, Jesus talks about the sin of murder. You have heard it said, you shall not murder. But then he clarifies and he's saying, I say to you that whoever whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. What? Yes. Yes. He says, 
He's judging at the heart level. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, you fool, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. What? Are you serious? Verse 28, I say to you, well, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, whoever just looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. It's the heart level. It's not the externals. It's not only what we do. It is what we do. It is what we say. Don't get me wrong. But it's, it's deeper than that, isn't it? You see, in that way, Jesus was taking what the Pharisees taught, which was all of this external religion and what they could see and how long your little tassel was here and whether or not you brought certain things to the temple. All of that external stuff that the Pharisees were so concerned about. Your tithing. Did you get the spices in your cabinet and tithe those? Ooh. Jesus is saying, well, what's going on in here? You tithe every last speck of mint and cumin that you have in your spice drawer, but that's not what I'm looking at ultimately. I want to see what's going on right here in your heart. Sin is personal. And it's personal like we don't even understand because God looks right to the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. And it's critical that we understand that. But sin is not only universal, it's not only a personal problem in terms of things that we do, not just externally, but primarily even internally in our heart, but it's also our nature. Not only do we fall with Adam into sin, not only do we sin on our own, but we also have a sinful nature. And this means that our hearts are defiled and polluted. By nature, our hearts are defiled and polluted and we are born enemies of God. We are born enemies of God. Turn to Jeremiah 17 verse 9. Someone please volunteer to read that. Cyrus? Yes, 17 verse 9. desperately sick, desperately wicked. The heart is deceitful. Who can know it? That's what God thinks of our hearts. It's what his pronouncement is of what's going on in here. It's not just what we do externally, right? And even those sins that we commit in our mind and in our intentions, but it's our very heart itself is deceitful. It's desperately wicked. Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23. Another volunteer, please. Mark chapter 7, verses 20 to 23. Nate. Uh, and 
he said, What comes out of a man that defies a man? For from, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, rudeness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. Mm. <coughs> yes, yeah, so you see, Jesus is saying, he's pointing out this reality that all of those wicked things that he has listed are coming out of, from inside. The Pharisees were like, oh, it's, it's what you, you touch. You know, if you go by and touch a dead body, you're defiled. Or an unclean animal, you're defiled. Or a Gentile, oh, that's like basically all of us. We're defiled. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not the externals that defile you. It's actually the defilement that you have is already inside you. It's our hearts. It's this sinful nature. Out of the heart comes all manner of evil. Now, granted, it may not be as developed in some as in others. Okay? Um, We mentioned before about, you know, this reality of of those who go to hell. And maybe we have on, there's a short list uh, of those wicked people in, in, in the history of the world that people tend to say, oh, yeah, like I mentioned, I think Hitler right? Or um, some leaders, Mao from China, or, you know, you, you could probably list a few that society generally all agrees on. They're really bad people. If anyone's going to hell, they are, right? Um, and it's true that it's is not fully developed. Sin is not as fully developed in everyone, okay? You have a, a little child. It's not fully developed in little child as it is in someone who's been at it, if I can say it that way, for decades. Okay, so, so I, I want to make that, that clear. Um, we're not going to always see sin in its grossest forms in every single person, but that's not the point. The point is, is there's a defiled and polluted nature that we have in each and every one of us, which can lead to those gross, horrible expressions that we see in some. It may not get, make its way out. But when we look in our hearts, we see that in there is no good thing. That there are those sins, as he says, evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. God says they come from inside. They don't come from outside. Now, this is a critical point because our society tells us this. If, if you go to college, you're going to hear this. The, the psychology is, is, is that you are a blank slate, okay? And that anything bad in you is a result of an external force. Has anybody ever heard that? Okay, yeah. I remember my first English class in college, first class I had, freshman year, and going in there, I think I was, I thought I was going to learn about like English literature or something. This professor launched into this whole diatribe against God and Christianity. That was his starting argument. And I was like, I heard, I read about this. I like saw movies about this stuff. I didn't think it was that obvious. But that's what he did. And he came down to this whole thing. He said, all that stuff's nonsense. We're all just good people. 
we're all clean slates and the reason we have problems is actually because of this patriarchal uh, Judeo-Christian system around us. And that's where he was put, placing the blame. And maybe some of you are going to hear some of that. But see, what does God say about this? The problem is not ultimately with the fact that we have sin around us, that others have done things to us, that we see in others sinful actions, that we saw someone carjack someone else, so that makes me want their car. Before that, I was just the most delightful, contented person. But it, that was that bad hoodlum who stole the person's car that now excited in me something evil, which was to desire that car. Jealously wanting it, right? Nothing wrong with like a nice car, by the way. Just saying. But we have to be aware of this teaching. Now, when, I, when, when, when my wife and I first had, had our first kid, and... You know, you think your kids are angels, right? With parents and you have your little babies. They can't do anything wrong. They're the cutest kid ever. Still kind of cute. But at the time, cutest kid ever and do no wrong. And wow, you know, just you can't imagine that there would ever any be anything out of this little cute baby, this angelic being, that would be sinful. Right? It was just like it was hard to get that through our heads. But it was made very clear one day when this unnamed child who we had taught not to place his hand and go after mom's cell phone. Okay, that was like he wasn't supposed to touch the cell phone. Right? Still doesn't. And how old was he, babe? Under one. Yeah, he was not even one years old. Okay. And the cell phone was in her purse, and he went out to touch the cell phone. Right? And said, No, Jamal. <laughs> and gave him a little tap on his hand. No, Jamal. And he pulled it back. And he looked at us. And he looked back at the phone. And he looked back at us. You know what happened next? He went like this. <laughs> Very wisely. Shrewdly. He was, he was yeah, I can't see you, and that means you can't see me. And I can't forget it. Well, where did that come from? Where did that desire to disobey? Now, it's not unique to Jamal. It's right here. Right here. And the man standing before him. Why is it that a baby, a small child, knows how to do that? Did your parents, if you have siblings, did your parents have to teach you? Now, this is how you argue. This is how you vote. And this is, no. Where'd that come from? You had to go to school for that? Here's some videos you should watch <laughs> on how to be extremely annoying to yourself. <laughs> right? We laugh at it because we know it's true, don't we? It's just, it's just there. Nobody has to go and teach us that. Do this. What is all that teaching us about ourselves, right? Move from the humorous to the serious. 
Nobody had to teach. It wasn't an external force. Your parents didn't give you lessons. It was already in here. It just came out. And that's, again, we have to come to terms with this. We have to, to grasp this and say, yes, this is true. I have a sinful nature. I'm born with this sinful nature. It's not even something I get after a couple of years. It's in there. And what God says when he says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, who can know it? I have to say, amen, you're right. You are right. I've seen in here. Even as David says, I think in Psalm 58, come forth from the womb speaking lies. So here's the first essential. A biblical understanding of the problem of my personal sin. Have you come to grips with this problem of sin as God explains it to us in his word? Again, not making excuses for it. Not calling it what it isn't. Not pointing the finger at making it's everyone else's problem. But have you personally come to grips with this reality? You say, okay, I get it. But why is it so essential? I'll go back to what we said at the very beginning. Christianity is essentially and fundamentally a sinner's religion. 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, a volunteer to read this. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. Is that David in the back? First Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Amen. And again, Luke 5, verses 31 to 32. We read this at the beginning. Let's do it again. Luke 5, verses 31 and 32. Volunteer? Is that... Saw your name? Gabe. Is that? Gabe. Gabe? Yeah, he came to call sinners to repentance. First John one eight to ten. First John one eight to ten. Marcus. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and we're not coming to grips with this reality the Bible's clear we're we're deceiving ourselves we're lying to ourselves right we've got to understand this we've got to make sure that we are clear on this issue if we're a Christian okay now it may not be that you have a full PhD level, seminary level understanding. Yeah, you're right. I get it. I'm not saying that. 
But these, these things that I've just mentioned, the problem of sin, it doesn't take a PhD to understand them. Right? We've taken these texts and we've just taken right off the surface what it means to personally be a sinner, to be rebellious against God and His law and His ways. Right? And not just externally, but internally. And that it's not just the things that I've done, but this reality of a sinful nature, it's, it's in me. There's no good thing in me. Right? And we see that and we've got to understand that. It's essential to understand it in order to be a Christian. What about you? What about you? Have you seen this about yourself? In one sense, we could all say, yeah, you know, this issue of sin and that there's, you know, there's sin in the world. I mean, look, any news feed you go to, you're going to say, yeah, there's sin in the world, right? Nobody can deny that. And you might even say, yeah, and I can see it everywhere. You don't need to be a Christian to even agree to that statement, do you? But here's where the rubber meets the road. What about you? What about you personally? Have you personally seen that you are a sinner before God? That's the point. That's what's essential. Not, oh, they're sinners over there. Or I know what she did. What about me? Right here. What about you? Can you dispute the fact that you're a sinner? That you have violated God's law, not just in outwards, but inwards at the heart level? Can we dispute it? It's true. We must lay hold of this. We must see this. And as I said, because this is the whole point of Christianity, and we're going to get to this in our next message, but I can't help but break it out here. This is why Jesus came to this earth. This is why he died on the cross. It's because of sin. You can't erase sin. You can't make light of sin. You can't try to candy coat it. Because why did Jesus have to die on the cross if we can candy coat it? Why did he go through all that suffering if sin isn't a big deal? It's a mockery of the cross. It's a mockery of Christ's suffering if we just punt on sin. We've got to understand it. You have to understand it. As a believer, we must grasp and lay hold of this and understand it. And yes, it is uncomfortable. It's not something we delight to do. Ooh, I love to, let's get together and talk about it. No, 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 no. <laughs> Nobody's asking for that. But you do have to come to terms with it. Call it what it is. In your life, call it what it is. When you've got that relationship with a friend that is turned toxic because of your jealousy or your bitterness, you know what I'm talking about? Toxic relationships, friendships, one... First year at school, they were like, BFFs, yo. We're tight. Next year, 
Ooh, you can almost see the daggers coming out of the eye and going and hitting in the other person. What happened? Well, you don't know what she did to me. You know what she said on chat? And I know what she was thinking when she said it. And it becomes an excuse for all manner of anger, wickedness, evil, slander, gossip. Don't excuse it. Call it sin. It's sin. Say, this is wrong. This is, this is against God's law. Right? We've got, we got, we got to call it what it is. So do that in your life. Don't be ashamed to call it what it is and to call, call yourself out on it. Right? Be, don't worry so much about what everybody else and their sins, right? The speck in your brother's eye. First, deal with the, the what? Yeah. I have never, I mean, I, I like to think of it like a big telephone pole, right? You know? Hold on, Adam. I think you got something there. He's like, okay, what? careful where you turn. You almost knocked my head off with that big log in your eye, right? That's how we should look at our sin. It's me. Am I dealing with my lovelessness towards my classmate, that girl on the team, the guy on the team? Just so frustrates, frustrates me. That's sin. Here's a big one on a soccer team, right? The refs. Woo! Do you know it's amazing? The refs that, that ref our games get stuff wrong. I know no one else's refs get stuff wrong. But they have the audacity. Audacity to be wrong in our games. Like, like I mean, come on, right? Okay. But what's my reaction? Am I using their... <laughs> mistakes as an excuse for my sin. Let's call it what it is. Don't joke about sin. I think this is a hard one. Don't joke about sin. And you need to help each other out with that. Just like I need help. My wife helps keep me accountable. It's very easy to go into having fun legitimate fun and laughing and jokes and all of a sudden it just goes crosses the line you know what I'm talking about you just and now it's like it's almost like there's that uncomfortable moment you know that awkward moment everybody's kind of looking everybody say anything right the record stops you guys don't even know what records are (laughs) right it's like okay and then it gets real quiet and 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 sometimes we can be more worried about the awkwardness of the moment and how that makes us feel than the fact that the honor of God is at stake, right? So let me encourage you, because of what we've seen, just some practical application, don't joke about it and help each other out, okay? Don't joke about homosexuality. I hope that we love homosexuals and want to see them saved. I do not want to see anyone transgender, lesbian, homosexual, queer, transgender, I already said that, or plus, burning in hell. I hope you don't. Let's not make fun of that sin. Let's pray for them. Let's pray that God helps them to see that it's sinful. (coughs) Gotta be careful, right? Even though we know that that's 
that that is sin and that is a heinous sin and maybe it's revolting to us. How could anybody, well, guess what? How could anybody, if you've seen your own heart, you know somebody can do it. When I see things that people do, and I, again, you, you read on the news, sometimes it's almost like, it is almost funny because you're like, what? It didn't even enter my mind. And I just sit and I think, you know what? If it weren't for God's grace holding me back, I'd probably go right down. I'd be probably leading the pack in the Darwin Awards. Okay? It is sinful. Let's call it what it is. Let's pray for them. Let's love them. Because we know what's in here. Right? If you have a right understanding of sin, you can do this. If you don't, candy coat it. It can be very pharisaical. Oh, who are you to do these things? Let's call sin, sin. Let's not make jokes about sin. Let's get clarity around the problems in our society. I know, I, I think that probably this generation is more in tune and understanding with what's going on globally and nationally, even in politics, than any other generation before. All right? This is, you know, we're post-information age. I don't know what they call us now. But the reality, you guys have at your fingertips information about anything, about world events. I mean, you guys know more about what's going on in Ukraine with the war than I would have ever known even when I was living over there during the first Gulf War. You just have access to this stuff. And that's great. I'm glad you do. I think it helps to broaden your horizons. You're, you're better for it. But because we know these things to be true about sin... What the Bible says, look at what's going on in the world with clarity, biblical clarity, to understand what's the real problem. Is the real problem in the Middle East that somebody just has someone else's land, and if they could just figure out how to divide up the land properly, then everything would be fine. If you're not familiar with the problems in the Middle East, you're like, what are you talking about? But believe me, it's really not at the end of the day a land dispute issue. It's a hard issue. It's mine. I want it. You can't have it. It's childish. Is the problem really access? I might be crossing the line here. Won't be counted. Is the problem really the fact that people have access to firearms? Is that the problem that we have with? Mass killings in the U.S. Look, I'm all for taking precautions. And there is a right that government has to, to make sure that the population is safe. But is that the issue? Is that really the problem? Are we missing this? I, when, I was, when I was growing up, there was a big thing about video games being violent. Okay? And they, used to put, they started putting these little um, warnings. You know, parental discretion advised. Violence, you know, they had this, this game, which I don't suggest you look up or pursue. It's called Grand Theft Auto. Okay? And it was all about stealing cars, getting with women, doing drugs, getting drunk, and shooting everybody you possibly could. And you know what people said at the time? I remember this. They were like, video games, that's not what's going to make someone go out. They're not going to then go out and shoot people. It's the way they get it out of their system. They just have these bad urges and they can, you know, virtually like, guess what's happening today? 
the same thing that they were saying back when I was a kid and we were playing video games. Oh, this won't harm anyone. Now, now it happens all the time. And sadly, you guys reap the consequence of the stupidity of the adults of my generation. No one wants to call sin, sin. So you see how this has big effects. But what can you do? Understand these things in society and please, please pray about the heart of the issue. When you have a chance to talk with someone about what's going on in this world and how sad it is, go to the heart of the issue. That is a runaway for the gospel. Bring them there. See, you know this. You know this. There are many who are blind and have no idea. But blessed are you. Because you know these things. It's not a bad thing to understand this problem of sin. It's actually a good thing. So, those are my counsels on this last essential. May the Lord help us. And hopefully, as we see in the next session, it sets the stage for a glorious, beautiful redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful for your word, which indeed is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. We live in such darkness, Lord, and the darkness is coming right out of our own hearts. Thank you for shining the light of your word so that we can understand things about ourselves that are unpleasant but true. We pray that you would give each and every one here eyes to see the truth about themselves before you and their problem of sin. Not that they would just sit in that problem and, and, and bemoan the fact and, and be stuck in the mud of sin, but Lord, that it would move them to look to Jesus Christ and be saved. Father, even as we will look later, prepare our hearts to hear that glorious gospel, that joy, that, that true delight that is found in him alone to know sins forgiven and our record being completely wiped clean of every last one of those dark deeds. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.